Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Um, You may have noticed that we wandered into the Old Testament prophet, Book of Hosea. And I'd like you to turn there with me tonight. There is still time to get connected with our Uh, Bible reading program. We have that through the Bible app. We also have paper versions available. So if you don't know how to use that Bible app and don't care to use that, that's fine. Uh, We have a a printed version of the same Bible plan. And what that does as as a preacher, for me, it is great to read along and to know what we as a congregation are reading together. Uh, as we came into today's reading plan, we, uh, we came to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And I thought to myself, I know that I've used the illustration of Hosea several times, but I can't think that I've ever preached a whole sermon from this Old Testament uh, illustration. So Hosea uh, chapter 1 tonight, on my Bible, in my Bible it's on page 1287. And uh, toward the end of the Old Testament, a book that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but in recent years uh, actually got a a, a movie, I believe. I haven't seen it, but it would be interesting to see how how they did it. But tonight there's an incredible story contained in the book of Hosea. The story of a faithful man and an unfaithful woman. And when I think about the story of an unfaithful wife, I think of some very painful stories that I've seen people go through. I can think of preachers whose wives stepped out on them and uh, ruined a destiny, ruined a, um, a ministry. I can think of preachers whose wives stepped out and It's not only wives, of course. We know that infidelity, whenever it happens, is an incredible pain. It's an incredible offense. But in the story we're about to read, we find the prophet Hosea, a man of God, a man called to speak for God. And uh, he ends up being an incredible illustration that can help us tonight. And my prayer is that as we read this story, that we would find ourselves in it, as dangerous as that might be. And so I want you to read along with me, Hosea chapter 1, beginning right at the beginning, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, 
Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. That's a very hard ask that God gave to Hosea. Verse 3 says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived, bore him a son. I want to preach this uh, message that I've titled Transformational Love. And let's ask God to bless it tonight. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you for the power of this illustration that can change and transform us tonight. I'm asking, Lord, for your presence and your power to be at work, even in this message, in this service tonight. God, may we once again have a deeper appreciation for what you've done for us. And we thank you for all you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. Transformational love. What we find here in chapter 1 of this book of Hosea is we find uh, a faithful prophet. We find uh, a man named Hosea. And it's interesting that the the verse 2 where we begin to learn about his life, it says that the Lord began to speak by Hosea. The Lord began to speak by Hosea. And what that tells us tonight is that God was able to use this man. God was able to speak through him. The Old Testament role of the prophet, uh, if you read in the earlier days in the Old Testament, the prophet was intended to speak to individual people on behalf of God. So in other words, God would speak to the prophet, the prophet would go and deliver that message to individuals, perhaps kings, generals, uh, people that needed to hear from God. As the role progressed over time through the history of the nation of Israel, that role began to grow. The prophet was not only called to speak to individual people, but the prophets, especially those who have books in the latter part of the Old Testament, they are called not only to speak to individual people, but indeed to entire groups and in an entire nation they are called to speak to cultures and to cities and to nations and to people on behalf of god and that role of a prophet was not an easy one to fulfill because how many know the thing that god wants to say to the earth is not always the most popular thing What God wants to say to us is not always what we want to hear, is it? And so the role of the prophet, sometimes God would have words of blessing, right? Words that would encourage, words that would would lift people up. But more often than that, God had words of judgment, condemnation, warning, and woes. If you read through these Uh, through these major and minor prophets of the Old Testament, you will find a lot of very harsh language. And you know why that is? Because it turns out human beings are pretty stubborn people. They don't, like sheep, just want to follow the shepherd. But more like goats, we buck against the authority. Yeah, you don't have to look at me like a bunch of frogs on a log, because I know it's true. 
And you know why I know it's true is because I know it's true in me. That uh, we have this rebellious streak in our sinful fallen nature that wants to buck against authority, well, wants to do what I want to do and nobody gets to tell me. And so the role of the prophet in the Old Testament was to bring correction, to bring warning. Perhaps one of the more famous stories uh, of a prophet is the story of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. He didn't want to obey the Lord. He didn't want to speak. But when he did, the message was this. It was one of judgment. When he finally spoke to those people in Nineveh, he spoke on behalf of the Lord. God had to chase him down. And, you know, the story of the great fish that swallowed him and took him down, puked him out on the beach, and eventually got him in the right place where he could be used. But when Jonah, chapter 3, he goes and speaks to Nineveh, you remember the message that he preached. It wasn't, hey, Nineveh, God's happy with all of you. It wasn't, I want to bring a word of blessing and encouragement to you all. What was his message? His message said, you better turn yourselves around because God's about to destroy you all people. Sometimes I can identify with the role of the prophet. As I come behind a pulpit with a word that I don't know how I got it, but God gave it to me. I don't even want to preach every message that I preach. But when we find in the Word of God words of woe, words of condemnation and judgment, the call of the minister, the call of the prophet is to faithfully convey the Word of God. Sometimes you're going to hear messages of blessing, messages of encouragement. We need the happy juice and band-aids sometimes to patch us up. But there are times, like these Old Testament prophets, that the Word from God is judgment and woe and warning. And it is just as necessary and maybe even more so. And here's Hosea. The Bible says that he is a faithful messenger. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea. We don't, find any, uh, we don't find any clue here that Hosea is having difficulty with this task. We don't find here any clue that Hosea is, is, uh, is being rebellious against them. He is simply doing what he's called to do, and that is all God can ask from us, isn't it? And now, something is happening in the nation around him. Something that God has to confront. And the way that God confronts it is by using a faithful man named Hosea. Hosea was, again, a faithful prophet. And here is what God said to him. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Now, you're going to have to grasp this tonight, and I'm not going to go into details about what this is, but I'm going to use the word harlot tonight because that's the word the Bible uses. So uh, I'm going to try to keep this PG or below. But we cannot candy coat the fact that harlotry is just as wicked today as it was then. They call it the oldest industry. 
Because as long as there have been sinful human beings, there has been sinful desires, and harlots have always been there to fulfill those sinful desires. And so you have to think about this. You have to imagine the ramifications of a prophet, holy man of God, going down the block and asking to marry a harlot. Now just compare that to the, to the uh, Levitical laws for the requirements of a priest. Who, when, the Bible, uh, when God began to lay out the guidelines of who the priests are supposed to marry, right? there were some high standards for the priests. If you wanted to be a priest, we know from the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these laws, uh, that, that the, the priest could not marry just anybody. First of all, we had to select a woman who was of the 12 tribes of Israel. Second of all, you, the woman that a priest was going to marry uh, could not be someone who had gone through a divorce. It could either be a virgin or someone who is a widow. Those are the only two options as a priest. And uh, there's various reasons for that, but then the Bible also gives specifics about the high priest. The high priest of Israel, when he's about to get married, there's even a stricter standard. That the woman that he's going to marry, she can't, she can't be uh, neither uh, a, a divorced woman, nor can she be a widow. Not even widows. The only option is a woman who has not yet been married. A virgin as it says in the Word of God. So these are, these are the standards that God has. Now, just think of those standards that everybody in the temple would have. Everybody in the religious community would have the same standards for who they're going to marry. And here's Hosea doing the work of God, and God speaks to him, I want you to go marry the harlot. Can you imagine the shame connected with this? Can you imagine him being mocked by the religious community of his day? Hosea, man, you had a good thing going. God was using you. Could you imagine being Hosea's family? His father and his mother. What would they think about this decision? Can you imagine the community, the, the same temple or the synagogue where he would worship and learn the Torah? And all of a sudden, he comes in with the news, comes in with the woman next to him, the same one that in those days they would mark those, the harlots by shaving their heads. And she, he would walk in with, with a woman with a reputation who's been around the block. And this is how God is going to illustrate for us the relationship that He has with His people. And so I have two questions about this. Number one, who does Hosea represent in this living illustration? Well, it's quite obvious that Hosea is playing a role here. Hosea is fulfilling a part. And the part is of God who is in heaven. A faithful man doing what he is called to do. Joining himself to someone that nobody could think was possible. 
And so, God is showing the rest of us who He is. Here's the dangerous part of this question. Who are we in this story? There's really only one other option here. If Hosea represents God, then Gomer the harlot must represent, in the immediate sense, he rep- she represents the nation of Israel, but in a larger sense, she represents every human being. <laughs> and when you begin to think about what that means, that God would enjoin Himself to f- unfaithful people, that it's probably embarrassing to God the kinds of things that we choose to do. Now let's just think about this for a moment because how is it that God would compare the nation of Israel and God would compare His chosen people to a harlot? Why, why, why would He do that? Well, what is the work of a harlot, really? The work of a harlot is to give up the dignity of her body for the profit of some money, right? So she values the material things of this world greater than the spiritual value of her own soul. Everybody still with me tonight? Nobody's turning red? Maybe I am. But when we think about what the harlot does, maybe we can find a reflection in ourselves. Could it be that in 2019, there are still a few people who value material things greater than spiritual virtue. This is why churches get emptied out on Sunday mornings. Because there's opportunity to make some... This is why that, uh, that, that it's very difficult for pastors and leadership in churches to find people they can rely on. Find people we can trust. Because, because the, the call of our generation is always to, to get greater material wealth. To elevate the love of other things before the love of God. The Bible speaks about the sin of spiritual harlotry. I want you to see in Hosea chapter 2. Now, now just what we've seen so far. Just that is incredible, right? That Hosea, a good man, a faithful man, a man being used by God, that he would be obedient to the Lord to take to himself not just a harlot for his wife, but didn't you catch what it said? That he took in her children too. And all of a sudden, he's got a whole family on his hands with children that aren't his. He has to play the stepdad. For those of you who have step-families, you know that there's difficulty involved there, right? Especially children born from harlotry. Wow! But that illustration is, is already mind-boggling, right? That God, a holy God, a righteous God, a faithful God, would take unfaithful people to Himself. That's what we've seen so far. But it gets better. Or worse, depending on how you look on it. 
Hosea chapter 2, turn the page, verse 5. God's speaking prophetically, but he's also speaking literally about this situation. He says, their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Do you see there the pursuit of material things? And what we see here, what we learn about Gomer, was that there came a time that she left Hosea's house. Even after she was purchased, even after she came into Hosea's home and he took her and, and became his, his wife. And we don't know how long the time span was, but at some point, she made the decision. She saw that there was still wealth to be gained out there on the marketplace. And she returned to her old life. She chased after the, the wool and the linen, the oil and the drink. She chased after. See, this is what happens sometimes to people who are falsely converted. There is still in our generation a spirit of the world. that People can come and have a religious experience at an altar, but truly they haven't been transformed, have they? They come and they hear the message of the gospel, the good news that can set people free. But the problem is if we're not converted, if we're not born again, we can, uh, we can take a look at Hosea's house and say, wow, this, this is pretty nice in here. I, but I don't really deserve to be here. I, I, I couldn't be like these people. I couldn't. There's no way I could ever put on a tie. Good Lord. There's no way I could ever, you know, give a tithe or, you know, be faithful or be holy. Like, you know, but it's a nice idea. And maybe like Gomer, there's people in, in the house of God whose eyes are still attracted by the things of the world. And maybe we still show up to a service. Maybe we still uh, call ourselves with the name. We still wear the ring on the finger. But the truth is our hearts are far from Hosea. She's stepping out again. She goes back and she violates everything that Hosea has done for her. But you know, we shouldn't condemn old Gomer too quickly. Listen to what the Bible says about people of God. Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm 106, verse 34. It says, They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. They mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works, served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works, and listen carefully, they played the harlot by their own deeds. Say, Pastor, what does that have to do with us in 2019? You know, uh, at this time, there is something happening called the 40 Days for Life. An incredible um, organization that is now in over 500 cities around the world. 
And for 40 days, there are people who make commitments to stand outside Planned Parenthood facilities and other abortion providers simply to pray that the evil practice of abortion would be ended in our generation. And in the 10 years that this organization has been around, there have been Planned Parenthood abortion centers that have been closing down. Abortion workers who have been leaving their jobs. Last year, the movie... Uh, about Abby Johnson that came out called Unplanned. We'll be showing that at some time in the future. We'll, we'll find the right time to do that. But it is a sign that something is changing in our nation. But see, the problem is that the industry of abortion, of which there is still more than 2 million abortions every year in the United States, is exactly what we just read in that scripture, book of Psalms. 106, verse 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. That's happening today under our noses. That's happening right around the corner in facilities, in our neighborhoods. We can't deny it. We we can't say uh, what we must do is we have to speak up. Otherwise, we join in. We agree with our silence. And by doing so, we are exalting the demons of convenience and ease. And we are playing the harlot against God. It doesn't have to be so evil. It doesn't have to be so obviously evil. Anytime, how many know, anytime we elevate a love above the love of God, it's called harlotry. Anytime we elevate the love of stuff, the love of personality, the love of entertainment, the love of sports, ooh, with football starting this week, huh? Watch out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take cover for a second here. When we begin to elevate anything above our devotion to the King of Kings, the one who rescued us, it's the same as Gomer. We're stepping out. So at this time, I want to take this biblical story and I want to, uh, I want to make it a little more real for you. Let's imagine ourselves for a moment, can we? Can we try to, in our minds, go back in time? And at this very moment, we can find ourselves outside a large village somewhere in the land of Israel. It's the afternoon and the summer sun is beating down. And we walk past a a shepherd who's leading his sheep down the hill. And just ahead, there's there's a, a group of goats and sheep there in the marketplace of the town. All around, there's busyness happening. And we find ourselves aware there's some sound happening in the center of the city square. It's the sound of shouting and haggling. Some donkeys are approaching, loaded with sacks filled with grains. And as these animals are passing, we finally see what's happening. We figure out that it is the voice of an auctioneer. One, who will give me one, one, anybody one, one, two, I see two. We've arrived just in time to see what happens to be the auctioning 
of a slave girl. His voice of the auctioneer rings out, I have a bid, five shekels, five shekels for the slave woman. Is there six? Is there six? Anyone? Someone says six. Is there seven? Seven. I hear seven in the back. The bidding is continuing. He keeps uh, asking the price to go up and up and up, but the price isn't going up. There's a man next to you. You ask, who is this woman? He tells you, oh, she's not a stranger here. I can tell you that. She's the town harlot. He scoffs. Ugh. She's got a reputation around here as a worse prostitute. Look at that woman. She doesn't have a mark on her body. The auctioneer begins to shout, She's worth more than the seven we have. Is there anyone who would raise the price? He's trying to indicate that she's been well cared for, but everybody knows her reputation. Everybody knows that now years have passed. She's grown older. She's been rejected. She's at an undesirable age now. And now the current owner, he can't get the price that he wants for her. The man standing next to you explains more of the situation. She used to be married, you know. She was married? It came as a surprise to those around and opens a flood of other questions. She's seen better days than this. As you hear that information, you try to visualize a time when she was maybe younger or more beautiful or more attractive. There might have been a time that someone had fallen in love with her. She must have fallen in love with someone. We want to believe the best about her and we picture a happy wedding day. But as soon as that thought f flies through our mind, another bystander says, yeah, she was married to the preacher man down the road years ago. That poor woman was married to the preacher? That can't be true. Yeah, but you know, she was a tramp long before they ever got married. I'm told they had three kids together. But nobody knows for sure whose they are. The oldest was a boy, and then a girl, and then another boy. But we didn't know any more details. But the, it's getting more clear. This poor naked creature in the center of attention on this blistering hot day going to be taken by the highest bidder was once a young and beautiful woman. She had once known a, the warm embrace of a loving husband. She was cared for, provided for. Her needs were met. She had a roof over her head and a bed to sleep in at night. But the story comes out. They wondered how a guy like him could ever love a girl like her. Problem was, they said that she kept stepping out on him. She never changed. She just up and left one day. Left her husband. Left her children. Left her house. The poor preacher guy had to feed all of them, her former children and the ones that they had together. She was turning tricks whenever she could. Finally, it was too much for her to deal with and try to, try to uh, cover up any longer. She finally had to just leave. 
the auction is still going, but slowly, and the, the owner of the woman is, is telling the auctioneer, come on, let's do this, higher, we need a more price. They were convinced. I have a 10 shekel bid in the back. Is there anyone else? Anyone? 10, 11. I have 11, anyone? She used to be beautiful, they said. Somebody said, ah, she's not worth it. You better shut this auction down. Let the fool who, get, who offered 10 have her. You're lucky to get that much. She's nothing but an old, burned out, used up, worthless harlot. Get her down from there so we can auction something else. Okay, I have a bid for 10. Going once. Going twice. 10 shekels. And suddenly from the back of the crowd, a voice strong and clear. I'll give 15 shekels and 10 bushels of barley. And as soon as that is heard, everyone's mouths drop open. Every head in the crowd turns to see who would make such an unbelievable bid for someone who is unworthy as this. He makes his way to the front and counts out the ten shekels of silver. The slave woman whose head has not been moving the entire time she expects rough hands to grab her and pull her down. After all, she is just a slave. She had given up a long time ago on any hope of happiness. Long ago, she had no reason to hope or dare that she would be treated any other way but an animal that she feels like she is. But for the first time in a long time, she feels smooth touch of a garment being thrown around her shoulders covering her nakedness. And a voice whispered in her ear, Gomer. She recognizes the voice and tears begin to feel, fill her eyes. Hosea, is that you? Yes. I've come to take you home, Gomer. Because I love you. And I'm taking you back. The stunned crowd is watching in silence as Hosea brings her down from the podium and he says these words which come directly from Hosea chapter 3, verse 3, where he says, You shall stay with me many days. You will not play the harlot. You shall be for me. And that day, Hosea, the prophet of God, the preacher man, took Gomer back home. And on that day, Gomer was transformed. Because for the first time, without him having to scold her, without him having to talk down to her, she realized the transformational love that he had for her that God had filled him with. In chapter 3 of our scripture, it says, Go again, love the woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. And right here in this story, this amazing story of Hosea, 
we find the transformational love of God. The only way that this love will not transform you is if you refuse to see who you are in the story. Oh, pastor, I'm not that bad. I'm not that kind of person. I wouldn't do that. There's no way, not in a million years. If you lie to yourself and say, I'm not, Hose, I'm not Gomer, then you'll never be transformed. The Bible says that the heart is what? Deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts want to stray and wander constantly. Which one of us can claim that we've not been tempted to sin in the last 24 hours? Tempted to stray and many times following that temptation. But when we understand the love of God, when He embraces us again, even after we run from Him, it has the power to transform. It has the power to redeem. It has the power this evening to change you. So my question is tonight, have you been redeemed by this transformational love? Because the truth is that just like Hosea, we serve a God who comes after us. The... Theological terminology for this is the prevenient grace of God. The grace that reaches out to us even when we don't deserve it. It is the voice of God in the garden crying out to Adam, where are you? Adam's not looking for God. Adam's not interested in talking to God. But God is seeking after Adam. It is a world that when He came... The world rejected the Son of God, right? He came preaching love and and forgiveness. He came preaching the kingdom of God, but He was rejected by the, the world was not interested in what Jesus had to give. But He came after us again. And again. And when the world would not receive His Son, guess who God sent? The Spirit. And since then, and every day since then, the Lord has been sending His Spirit again to you. And to you, and to you, and to you, and to you. And even when you run, and even when you hide from God, do you know what He does? Are you ready yet? Have you had enough of those other lovers out there in the world yet? Have you had enough emptiness Yet, have you had enough lack of fulfillment yet? The God who goes again. Not only that, but we see that Hosea paid a hefty price. 15 shekels. That's, that's like a, a six months uh, of salary for an average worker. He lays it down when nobody else thinks she's worth it. But that is nothing in comparison to what Christ paid. To the price that He was willing to pay to redeem us. When He went to the cross and didn't just give money, He gave Himself. His blood poured out. His body broken. For people who didn't deserve it. For people who were mocking and crucifying Him. 
Even for the soldiers who were laughing and, and spitting on him and, and those from the temple guard that were mocking him, if he's really the Son of God, let him come down from the cross then. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. He's willing to pay the price even for them and even for you. He's willing to lay it down so that He can purchase you. And so with that in mind, what Hosea says to his wife, Gomer, is he asks her. He says, you will not go again. He says, you shall not have a man You're going to be with me now. Is that so much to ask? After he married her and lost her and then purchased her again, all he asks is that she would stay. Would you stay, Gomer? Now just think, if that was you, if if if, if you were Gomer in this situation, you would want to do all you could to be a blessing to this man who's rescued you, who has covered your nakedness, who has redeemed your dignity when you didn't deserve it. If that was you, you'd probably want to do his laundry and his dishes and cook him some nice meals, right? And from that day to be, to be a faithful wife. Do you know what the Bible calls the church of Jesus Christ? It calls us his bride. We are His bride. And if He has purchased us and laid down the price for us, then what is it? What does it take to just serve Him? To just honor Him? To just do, to live in His house and to experience His blessing? That's what the Lord calls us to. That's what the life of living for God is. The life of discipleship is simply following Jesus, isn't it? And being faithful is as a response to his faithfulness. And that's my call tonight. Is put away the harlotry to realize the transforming love of God that he has for us, willing to redeem us again. To pay the price again. And what does it say in the book of Hebrews that if we if we, after we have experienced the transforming love of God, if we go out again, we are crucifying Him afresh. Did you ever read that scripture? Every time I read that, I think, straight to the heart. Because every time we do, we step out on Jesus. Can we, can we have a heart tonight to, of faithfulness? to the King of Kings. And here's the good news. He has given you everything you need to live a godly and faithful life. There is no excuse left. You don't have to say the temptation's too strong. You don't have to say my, the call of my flesh is too difficult. No. Because the same Spirit which raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. And that Spirit given to us to overcome the desire to step out on Him. To stay faithful. To cook a few meals. To help Jesus when He needs it.
You know Jesus still needs some help, right? In this earth. He still needs some hands and he still needs some feet. And he still needs some mouths to speak for him. And that's where the church can be faithful. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. I want to encourage you tonight. Because even though we have this fallen, sinful desire to step out from the God who saved us, there is hope for us tonight if we will once again rest in His grace and His tender mercies. The love of God is not some Hollywood version of two starry-eyed lovers that catch their eyes and have a romantic comedy together. No, the love of God that is described in our Scripture is the love that is willing to pay a price. The willing to lay down one's life for the sake of another. That is the transformational love of God that is here tonight. And no matter if you have been in church, you've heard the story before or not. If you see yourself as a religious person or not. No matter if you have had spiritual experiences or not. The truth is that this love that is willing to redeem the lost and the broken, that love is for you. Sometimes we get this strange idea that I have to clean myself up first and then I can do something for God. I have to get my act together first. And I have to, you know, I have to do all these hard things before God is ever going to have anything to do with me. And that comes straight from the pit of hell. Because the truth is, there's not much we can do to clean ourselves up. As we're standing there on the auctioneer block, having a life of harlotry behind us, there's not much we can do. Is there? The truth is that we come to Christ as we are. With all of our flaws and all of our sins and all of our unfaithfulness, we come to Him. And He redeems us. He cleanses us. He sets us free. And maybe tonight that's something that you need before you leave this place. You realize, you recognize tonight your, the depth of the wickedness of your sins. How they separate you from a holy God. And you realize tonight that like Hosea, God has a desire to redeem you. To come after you again, even after you've messed it up. Even after you've failed. And yet here He is tonight, still knocking on the door of your heart. Will you come home? Will you stop running? Will you turn from sins, from the old life? Will you be renewed tonight? Will you be redeemed? The answer to that question is in whether you, is, you will receive the love that has been given to you. See, that moment up on the auctioneer block, Gomer still had the choice to run. But well, she didn't run. She received this transformational love and she followed Hosea home. Is there someone here tonight that maybe you would receive that love and you would follow the Savior home tonight? He's here by His Spirit 
and He's knocking on the door of your heart and this call is for the lost. Is there someone here being honest? Say, Pastor, I need your prayer. I need to be redeemed. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be washed and cleansed before I leave this place. Is that you? Quickly, slip up your hand. Is there someone here tonight? God speaks to you. Is there anyone at all? Quickly tonight. Maybe like this character of Gomer, you find yourself wandering. In your mind, wandering. In your decisions, you find yourself still attracted to the, to the lust of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh. You find yourself drawn to the material wealth. You find yourself drawn to the idols of this generation. And your heart is drawn away. Tonight, I wonder, do you, do you need to be redeemed? You need to come back home. Is there any prodigals here tonight? Can I pray for you? You lift up your hand so I can see it. You need to come home tonight. Is there anyone at all? Quickly, quickly this evening as the Lord speaks to us. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.